You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. After years of legal and political arguing over the Keystone XL pipeline, the Obama administration denied a permit to construct it. But last week, President Trump reversed that decision and said the pipeline could proceed. The president's decision, however, did not end the fight over the pipeline. First, several Native American groups filed suit in federal court in Montana, and now the Sierra Club and other environmental advocacy groups have filed a lawsuit in the same court. Here to talk with us about the litigation to stop the pipeline are Deborah Sivas, director of the Environmental Law Clinic at Stanford Law School, and Evan Zoldan, a professor at the University of Toledo College of Law. Deborah, tell us what the Sierra Club and these other plaintiffs are alleging uh, in order to try to stop the president's decision to allow the pipeline to go into effect. Sure. The the complaint that was filed on Thursday by the environmental groups really focuses on the uh, claims under the National Environmental Policy Act and under the sort of General Administrative Procedure Act. And what they're alleging is that um, there has not been enough review of uh, of the environmental impacts from the pipeline. There is a, a environmental review that was done a while back, but they're alleging that there's new information about the the dangers posed by the particular kind of oil coming out of Alberta um, and new information about the price of oil and how that might affect whether um, th- this pipeline would facilitate uh, more getting more oil out of the ground than would otherwise happen. So they're alleging that those those things have not been adequately considered in the State Department's approval and also that the State Department has not uh, articulated a reason for a legitimate reason for reversing the Obama administration decision. Evan, are there any differences between the suit by the two groups, the environmental groups and the Native American groups? There are a couple of differences. The arguments are basically the same. The claims are basically the same. Um, the, uh, the complaint was filed earlier in the week. has a little more detail. It has more detail about um, the environmental um, risks associated with the, with the pipeline. It has a little bit of legal argument, neither one of which is necessary or even uh, typical at this stage in a federal case. So I would say that um, even though they do look different, uh, they, they're essentially making the same claims. Deborah, the one of the arguments that's getting made here is that the uh, old envi- the environmental impact statement is from 2014. Um, it's the the plaintiffs are arguing it's stale. They should you know that it and it also doesn't take into account a lot of the information that you mentioned. What is the law in terms of how recent? an environmental impact statement has to be in order for it to be valid. 
Yeah, there's no clear bright line about when a, an, an EIS like that goes stale. But um, so it depends on what evidence the plaintiffs will bring forward to support their claim that there's new information that should have been considered. And I, I think in particular, the environmental groups are focusing on a study um, by the National Academy of Sciences that was released uh, a year or so ago that um, uh, th- that really talks in more detail about the, the specific dangers of the, this kind of oil and how it's it's more difficult to react to a spill of oil. You know, we have spills from pipelines and and other oil facilities, and so they want. So part of what they're arguing is that 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 the EIS needs to be updated in order to incorporate that new information. So again, there's no bright line. It depends if they can put forward uh, enough information to convince the court that the that that the uh, the EIS needs to be updated. Evan, can you anticipate what the government's response is likely to be? It can't just be new president, new order. Right. Well, so the first thing to keep in mind is that at this stage, um, there is not really going to be um, an argument about the underlying merits. And so the first thing that's going to happen is the government is going to uh, move to dismiss the complaints. And, And at this point, there's not going to be a lot of argument about the, the underlying facts. So at this first stage, when the government moves to dismiss, it's going to um, accept for the purposes of, the, of its motion the facts as they are stated, and it's going to make legal arguments. And so uh, what, what the court is going to have to decide in the first instance is just a, the, the legal question of whether the plaintiffs have stated a claim, that is, whether they have um, uh, noted any facts for which the law provides legal redress. And so we're not going to see a lot of uh, duking, it, duking it out on the facts at this stage in the uh, litigation. Deborah, do you think there will be some? Uh, we have about thirty seconds here. Do you think we'll, there will be a move, motion for an injunction, uh, or is this just going to play out over a longer period of time? I'm not sure about that because there's, uh, as you probably know, this is not the end of the line. So in in particular for this particular segment, which is kind of the hypotenuse of a a triangle, um, the the pipeline would have to go through Nebraska, and there is a whole other state process that's going on in Nebraska. So I'm not sure whether the plaintiffs will ask for an injunction. It might be kind of hard to get at this point because there's no imminent harm that the pipeline's going to be built um, in these early early times. I, I do agree that I think the government's going to move to dismiss uh, pr- primarily, or at least that one of the claims being that um, it doesn't even have to do an EIS for this project. I, I think they're taking the position that these permits are fully discretionary. And although the State Department did a, did an EIS, it didn't have to. All right. Well, we're going to talk more about the ongoing fight, which who knows when it will end, over the Keystone XL pipeline in a reversal of one of the prior administration's major decisions. President Trump last week approved construction of the Keystone XL pipeline that will run from Canada to Nebraska. But environmental and Native American groups are now suing to prevent the pipeline going forward. And so the many years of controversy over this pipeline did not come to a close with the president's decision last week. We are talking about the new litigation with Deborah Sivas, the director of the Environmental Law Clinic at Stanford University, and Evan Zoldan, professor at the University of Toledo College of Law. Evan, you had one president's administration say that the pipeline would not be allowed to go forward. They wouldn't get a permit to come across from Canada. Now you have a new president, new administration came in with different policies, and they, with the same background of information, reverse the decision and say that the pipeline can proceed. 
is that does that cause any legal issues? Is it okay for an administration to just reverse what the prior administration did? That's a great question. So the, there is a, um, a, a long tradition, uh, uh, including a statute called the Administrative Procedure Act, that is quite skeptical of agency changes of um, uh, policy just based on the change of administration. And so the question that the court is going to ask is, is this change in policy arbitrary or capricious? Now, it's not a, uh, it's not a clear-cut question because there definitely is, a, is authority, including the Supreme Court um, at times has upheld changes in policy that seem to be supported by nothing more than the fact that the administration changed. On the other hand, sometimes courts say, well, no, you need to provide uh, more information than just that was and this is now in order to justify a change in policy. And I'll tell you the one thing that's very interesting about this is that um, a court is more likely to defer to the agency to the extent that the court um, is going to apply what's called uh, Chevron deference. And Chevron is the name of a Supreme Court case that um, that uh, directs uh, courts to defer to agency determinations. And what's interesting about that is that, uh, in general, uh, the Republicans in Congress, and particularly in the House, have been very um, opposed to a strong uh, Chevron deference. And so if they have their way and are able to, either through legislation uh, or through the, um, the confirmation of uh, Judge Gorsuch, um, restrain the power of Chevron deference, uh, it would mean that it is less likely that changes in policy, like the one we just saw, are going to be upheld by courts on review. Deborah, which side has the stronger argument? Um, well, yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a toss-up here because um, there is a document. When the State Department reversed this recent reversal of, uh, a few days ago, uh, they they put out a document like 30 pages long that kind of is their explanation. So just as we were saying, they have to at least give some explanation to make the decision not arbitrary and capricious. And, and, and you know, so I, it's hard to handicap because there are some legitimate arguments that there's new information that should have been considered and that it was arbitrary to simply reverse the decision. On the other hand, as uh, as we just heard, the, the there is deference to the agency, especially um, in this arena where it's a kind of a for, the reason there's a presidential permit is is that it's it's a, the pipeline goes across borders and so it's kind of a foreign affairs issue, which is even more deference to the at the presidential level. So I I, I don't know um, uh, you know who ultimately might might win out on this one. I, I think it's kind of a toss up and it all depends on whether the judge thinks there's enough um, explanation uh, for for why this the State Department reversed course. Well, Evan, environmental litigation can often take up a lot of time, and the uh, this is not an environmental impact statement that has really ever been looked at by a court because the prior administration denied the permit, so you didn't have litigation about whether the EIS was sufficient. What is a court going to do when it looks at the EIS now? How searching an inquiry will it do? Well, the inquiry the court's going to make is, um, is that they're going to ask how, how hard of a look did the agency take at the um, the underlying policy decision? And so they're going to ask, did the State Department um, comply with the, uh, the the law, the National Environmental Policy Act, in putting together uh, the environmental impact statement? They're going to uh, ask whether or not 
Um, they uh, complied with the regulations about uh, asking for comments from the public. Um, and then the court is going to evaluate whether, uh, given the, uh, the way that the environmental, environmental impact statement was put together, whether the uh, agency took a, a hard look uh, at, the, uh, at the, the facts that it collected before it made its policy decision. Deborah, one last thing. How long, given all that, do you think this will go on for? Uh, I, I think it, these cases don't move super quickly. I mean, as we talked about earlier, there might be a request for uh, some kind of injunction, but uh, and there's probably going to be a motion to dismiss. But but if neither of those things happen, then you know you kind of are in for the long haul. There's a record the agency would produce, and there would they would set a briefing schedule and argument, and that that could take quite a while. Um, typically, these cases go on for a year or more. Well, our thanks to Deborah Sivas, the director of the Environmental Law Clinic at Stanford University Law School, and Evan Zoldan, a professor at the University of Toledo College of Law, for being here on Bloomberg Law to talk about new litigation over the Keystone XL pipeline. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, we're going to be talking about Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. He was once the scourge of the Obama administration, or at least one of them, took them to court on everything, but now he is facing... Uh, securities fraud charges in Texas, and he lost a couple of key rulings in court. That's coming up on Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.